The real problem of humanity is the following. We have Paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions and godlike technology. With this quote from Edward O. Wilson, Matt Nixon answered my question if our requirements about leadership have changed in the last decades. Matt Nixon has more than 30 years of experience as a management consultant and HR executive, working with CEOs and senior leaders around the world. An Oxford Classics graduate, he was partner in Towers Brain in Chicago and London and subsequently held the positions of Global Head of Organization Effectiveness for Royal Dutch Shell and was a Managing Director, Group Head of Talent for Barclays, before returning to the consulting industry. Nowadays, Matt works as a partner in a specialized consulting boutique where he coaches and advises CEOs and other senior leaders during career transitions and other periods of change and transition. Matt has written and thought extensively on hubris in executives. During our conversation, Matt and I discussed the following topics. Have the demands on senior leaders changed in the past couple of decades? How can senior leaders stay relevant and deal with the changing nature of their roles? What makes a successful executive an effective supervisory board member? The reputational life cycle Matt describes in his book Pariahs, Hubris, Reputation and Organizational Crisis. How top leaders could prevent their organizations from landing in a hubris state. Should leaders who find themselves in the middle of a corporate scandal stay or go? Should companies take a stand on political issues, for instance human rights, immigration and the Ukraine? And finally, should coaches proactively force issues on their senior clients? Matt, thank you so much for, uh, for being on this, uh, on this podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's very nice to be asked. Yeah, yeah, I um, I, I really wanted you as uh, as a guest because I think you have so much to offer in terms of uh, of background and uh, and experience that uh, that I'm thrilled to um, to have you here. My first question would be about uh, leadership. Uh, you have been working in the leadership space for for several decades now. Have you observed any changes regarding the demands uh, on leaders by their stakeholders? Have their role changed? Have they become, um, you know, heavier, more intensive? Can you tell me a little bit um, how you see that? That's a great question. Um, I I do think things have changed. I, I suppose there are things that haven't changed and things that have. So I'm going to start with a, a favorite quotation because it's a frame that we might come back to later in the conversation. There's a guy called uh, Edward O. Wilson, who's a sociobiologist American, who made a sort of, feral, a sort of famous comment in a debate at Harvard that the real problem of humanity is the following: we have Paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. And I've been thinking a lot about those three uh, over the last few years, and and some of that, of course, therefore means hasn't changed at all. The the, the Paleolithic emotions haven't really developed very much. We're still pretty much the Mark I Homo sapiens. We haven't evolved significantly in arguably tens of thousands of years. We've evolved to live in relatively small groups. Um, we're very interested in dominance hierarchies. We're very interested in um, <laughs> things that animals are interested in, uh, eating and having sex and, and uh, reproducing ourselves. We're interested in winning fights or avoiding fights and all these kind of fairly basic things are still going yeah. on for 
um, modern humankind, however sophisticated the environment they're in. And we've evolved various institutions to manage and, I suppose, constrain power that are more sophisticated than just who's the biggest, strongest uh, um, person in the pack. Yeah. But uh, those sophisticated institutions have largely evolved in, you know, you start in uh, ancient times, you come through democratic Athens and uh, Rome and the Western canon, and there are, there are other, other civilizations as well who are very uh, remarkable as well, all the way through medieval times. And a lot of what we now know as the institutions that constrain and manage power were developed in medieval through to the 19th and 20th centuries. But we arguably there's still a lot to go there because the the, the thing that's changed non non-linear way is technology. Uh, and, and that that continues to be interesting. So as a leader, the situation you're in has changed because technology's changed. It's made it much more immediate um, that people know what's going on. Communication is much easier. It's much more uh, democratic, actually, the, the access to yeah. power. So newspapers used to be owned by a small number of people. If you could get to them, you could stop things being in the papers. Well, good luck yeah. <laughs> sitting on a news story these days that people are largely aware of. It's going to be all over Twitter or all over um, the blogosphere, whatever it is. So that, yeah. that, that creates a whole new dynamic. And the pace at which news stories come about, I think, is one of the, the key things for many leaders I'm working with on, on, on dealing with problems and issues. Nevertheless, because the world's a more complex place or they're dealing with bigger and bigger institutions themselves, that the global multinationals are larger and more complex than they ever were, um, that means decision-making in that sense ought to take longer because you need to think about things more deeply and understand the ramifications of a decision. Yeah. So those two things are going in different directions. So for me, there's lots of ways of answering the question. Some things are eternal. I think um, the, the human being and understanding the human being, the human brain in particular, is something we're potentially getting a bit better at. And a, a lot of us in our coaching of leaders are talking lots more about the somatic and, and trying to reconnect people with their bodies and understand what's going on in their brains so that they can um, react appropriately and not just get sort of uh, hijacked by their amygdala and their, their, their basal brain and doing reptilian things when they really should be doing, you know, frontal lobe things and, and thinking more deeply. And at the same time, we're trying to help them cope with um, this rapid set of changes, particularly driven by technology, but also by things like climate change that are going to impact the whole world. So that might be a kind of trite answer, but there's, there's a lot going on there for leaders and they need to, they need to be capable about recognizing that there are some limitations um, to their physiology. Uh, that's not going to improve that much. Um, we're not going to be able to manage without sleep, for example. So no. you can work harder and harder and get jet lagged, but at some point you're going to conquer over and fail, or you might get a real massive failure in your health, which makes you pretty useless as a leader. So looking after your health has become very important. Yeah. And you know that that that's a theme I see throughout. But at the same time, you've got these these demands. Yeah, I think they are going up. Yeah, and and that brings me to my next question because you see that the life cycle of of CEOs um, is is let's say shrinking. Um, at the same time, you see the demands on CEOs, uh, you know, fastly increasing in terms of their their stakeholders. Um, 
how, how can CEOs ensure to stay relevant given, let's say, the demands on their time, their well-being, all the, the, the changes in their environments? Um, you work with a lot of these people. Um, how, how, what, what, what kind of guidance would you give them if they came to you with a question like, you know, Matt, how can I stay relevant uh, and how can I, let's say, extend my life cycle in this role? Well, they've got to they've got to manage on various different timeframes, and I suppose that's one of the key things about taking on the the really top roles is the timeframes over which your decisions matter can become very long indeed. So some of the decisions that you know you and I potentially were involved with or around at Shell would have yeah. fifty year, hundred year life cycle ramifications. Yeah. So people were trying to take them really thoughtfully. <clears throat> on the other hand, a lot of CEO decisions have to be taken right now, today, and uh, they have to try and do their best. So I think partly it's about understanding those differences and taking appropriate action in terms of who gets involved, how long do you take over it, um, how much thinking are you going to give it. The second thing is also the, a, a time management issue of as you become very senior, particularly in the CEO job, you need a very competent team who can really run the business for you on a day-to-day -day basis. You probably aren't going to spend a lot of your time getting involved in the very day-to-day decision-making and, and, and managing the day-to-day -day operations. You're going to spend and need to spend more and more of your time looking up and out. And my experience certainly with CEOs has been one of the big shocks when they first go into the big job is how many stakeholders there are who suddenly have a an interest and there's all these people coming out of the woodwork who you have to talk to the press and, and, and uh, analysts and brokers and you have to talk to uh, regulators and you have to talk to the board of course and, and, and owners and investors and you may have talked to some of those people on the way up in specialist roles you've had or not but you probably haven't recently had exposure to all of them so that's one of the things you need you're going to need time for that and then the third block of time is you're going to need time to think and read and think further out. So that's the one that always they're complaining they don't have enough time for and how do I do it? And you know maybe they can do it on holiday in the summer or Christmas. Yeah, they um, take a stack of books with them and, yeah, take a stack and of suddenly books. be completely up to date again. Yeah, And, and that's if they're that kind of person. I'm not, not all CEOs are alike, are they? Um, but I think all CEOs need to spend some of their time on this stuff, even if they don't naturally like doing it. So thinking about what's going to disrupt your business, um, thinking a bit ahead about how business is changing. And it could be lots of different aspects. It might be educating yourself about diversity uh, or, or, or trans issues. It might be becoming more au fait with AI and how it's going to impact your business. It might be thinking ahead around what is the impact of the Ukraine war going to be on my supply chain in 18 months' time? Um, that is strategic leadership and that is not something you can just put in a box you have to but you have to have a mindset around it you have to put some time in for it and you're going to have to decide to have some meetings about it and that means not having meetings about something else like and you know, how many widgets did we produce yesterday and do i like the quality of the widgets we produced yesterday and you, you want your team to be able to deal with that more than you do or you're going to get dragged down into that and you won't spend any time on the other stuff yeah you also, let's say, work a lot with executives that step up to, um, you know, as we say in parts of Europe, you know, supervisory board roles, right? More statutory uh, type of director roles. What, what, let's say, 
what does it mean for a skill set? Can they basically take the skill set as an executive and, and become a successful uh, member of a supervisory uh, board? Or do they need to acquire new skills? Do they need to unlearn certain skills? Uh, what, what do you recommend people who are, you know, wanting to make such a transition? What should they, uh, what should they learn? What should they unlearn? These are fundamentally different jobs. Um, and I think that's the first thing is, do they understand if, if that's their goal? Um, we often spend a lot of time saying, well, why do you want to do that? Do you do that? Because everybody wants to do that. And B, are you going to be any good at it? And do you want to really go there? But they are very fundamentally different because one of them is the accountability for doing the work. Mm-hmm. And the other is, you know, what it says on the tin, it's supervisory and um it's a fiduciary responsibility fundamentally about how that's being done and making sure on behalf of the owners or, or, or other people that it's being done properly. So that's the first thing. It's, uh, and unwrapping that, the nature of the job becomes not just sitting through long board meetings and being able to uh, have an iron bladder and get through it, but also do you understand the stuff you need to understand? You might need to know a lot more about um uh, diversity was one topic I've already talked about. Yeah, the new yeah, yeah. You, these things are coming up on board agendas, uh, sustainability issues, um, you, a lot more about finance perhaps than you did before even, because you can't add value to the discussions or go on the committees or you know, do the things you need to do unless you've got a grip on some of these agenda item topics. So when people are recruiting for these boards, yes, they're looking for... CEO experiences or common one CFO experience they like that they're looking for often for global experience and an understanding of the difference of doing business in different parts of the world because that's going to be relevant to some companies they are interested in people who know and understand about the business that the the company's in but they're also looking at are these people going to get along together you can't have too many big egos crashing into each other in a room um, all purporting to tell the CEO what to do. That doesn't work well. Um, so you need to be able to get on well also, but you need to be able to make a point. You need to cut through. And often it's the quietest board member who doesn't say very much, who actually gets the killer question in that the chairman's very happy about afterwards. Um, so, so yeah, the different different skills, some of them very learnable, um, but also just recognise this another level of leadership than the one you've done before, and you need even more of those sort of coaching skills. Um, just move over, let me drive isn't going to work. So you have to find a way to persuade people. Yeah. Um, I talked to a board member the other day who was saying, I finally persuaded the CEO to do X and he's finally taken my advice. And it's it's a kind of it's taken six months or something, whereas if it was straight command decision, you know, they, that, that would be different. And it is, it's just not like that. No, but but I think it's also diff- difficult for a lot of executives because uh, they are used to be in the driving seat. They used to take decisions. They might have, you know, some quick pattern recognition, like this is exactly what I went through six and a half years ago when this happened. Yeah. Um, it, it seems that almost you have to force yourself to, to to sometimes sit on your hands and and really recommend an advice. Yeah, it'll depend on the situation, and sometimes that's exactly why you want them on the board because you might say, actually, this is a if you have a cyber attack. Uh, and you've got somebody on the board who had one in their yeah. job, you know, last year. That's really helpful uh, because yeah. you have really good advice on what to do and not to do, and, and make sure yeah. you get things done in the right order. Yeah, 
but yeah, the the CEOs I coach are, are often frustrated, I guess, if the board has too many current and recent CEOs. There's, yeah. there's this sort of mindset there isn't always quite the right one for you know that they that they are, as you say, wanting to get their screwdriver out of the pocket and come in yeah. up a yeah. bit too much sometimes, and that's not that's not what they need. No, no. A totally different topic. Um, you wrote a book a couple of years ago, which I really, really liked and can can highly recommend to uh, to everyone. And I will uh, put it in the in the show notes. Thank you. Um, yeah. And it was called Pariahs, and it's about uh, organizations whose reputations get get tarnished by by scandals. And and in the book, you have a wonderful life cycle model going from genesis to hubris, crisis, nemesis, and metamorphosis. Um, could you perhaps uh, describe this this cycle to to listeners yeah. of the podcast? Yeah, I hope, I hope it's um, I hope it's intelligible. I, mean, it, 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 I look look on it now. It's a fair. It's a few years since I wrote the book. I look back and go, it's quite. Is it too complicated? But I hope people will follow along. So that the idea was there were certain conditions that seemed to have been in place that had led to a lot of the problems and scandals and issues that. I was seeing and, and had, in some cases, had to be involved in dealing with in, in places I'd worked. Um, and so I was thinking, well, what are these? If you read the reports afterwards and you look at all the data and you say, well, what's causing this? And can, cause, you know, can we stop it like any other thing, safety thing or, or problem thing you want to st- solve? Um, the common conditions seem to be the following so there's genesis conditions so these are the ones boards ought to be aware of and be thinking about saying this is not always good fast growth because it puts a lot of strain on processes and systems and um, puts um, leaders through into situations they don't know about because suddenly the thing's 20 times bigger than it was last month Um, a very strong brand which of course is a good thing for an organization in so many ways creates big promises so if you have a big brand you're out there saying aren't we marvelous and this is what we stand for or this is what this product's all about well if it doesn't huge do exposure it, huge exposure, huge exposure. yeah it doesn't mean you shouldn't have one but it just means recognize you're creating a risk with that um with that positivity even. and the the third bit was about uh, success and people getting really used to the idea that everything goes well around here. This is a marvellous organisation. We're growing very fast. Everything's brilliant. And that means it's much harder to deal with the fact that things might not be going well or there's criticism or there's something um, creaking in the corner that's going to blow up. And so the, the, the biggest of all, though, was weak governance. So not having a good, strong board, not having good regulation, not having people whose job it is to look at you and say, how is it uh, and uh, it is always a, a problem factor so so these were common problem factors you could see in the sort of ecosphere of whatever went wrong and the next thing was the the hubris bit was more individual oriented around leaders so leaders who were perhaps prone to narcissism or um, you know great self-belief and and and, and stopped connecting with reality you start getting um, sort of senior leaders really out of touch. They're out of touch with their own organisation. They're out of touch with how it's perceived. They don't believe or want to hear it. They won't brook any criticism. They start to fire people they don't like who tell them how it is, and they start being surrounded by yes men and women. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and, and there's a sort of arrogance to the place. So it can be individual or collective that people start to think, well, we're pretty marvellous, aren't we? And um, uh, that's, that's quite a dangerous, uh, dangerous self-belief, if you like, um, and just lack of attention to the warning signs. So before it all goes wrong, there's often a sort of peak moment of hubris, which you can later you can point back to. Um, so that was that was the next bit. Then the, 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 that then became a crisis. So during a crisis, you know things go wrong. Everybody starts to hate you. The pub, you know, chickens come home to roost from all over the place. You're in big trouble with the markets, with regulators, with the press, the public. These days, you get absolutely firestormed on Twitter. And it's pretty devastating for those inside the company, leading yeah. uh, the company at that point. You're completely diverted to dealing with the crisis, or a lot of you are, and you 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 can't just you know put the fire out and go back to business. You are now dealing with a reputational problem of how did you let it happen? Who are you as a leader to have let it happen? And the cracks can really start to show. And the nemesis that that's of this nemesis phase. Um, I, was, I was a classicist, so that's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have nemesis. So nemesis is, is the payback, right, for, 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 for the hubris. And it's, it's a kind of nasty, it's a really nasty bit. But during the nemesis phase, there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of public shaming. Uh, there is a sort of realisation that things have gone terribly wrong, that trust has been betrayed. Um, there is uh, reputational loss, organisations fail. You know, so the worst case, it's end game for the organisation and for you as a leader in terms of your career. So there are big prices to pay for not paying attention to this stuff was, was the hypothesis I was yeah. going with. Um, and then the metamorphosis idea was um, I felt and still do that a lot of people in response to these crises uh, want a quick fix. They want to get out of trouble. They want the pain and noise to go away. They want to say so. They replace a leader or two or the CEO. Uh, and they say it's brilliant now. It's fine. Or they change the brand. Yeah, we put a plaster. Yeah. You know, nothing to see here. Yeah. But underlying the underlying issues are still there, and there's a danger you're just going to go around the cycle again. Whereas I was and am an advocate of really looking hard at it and metamorphosis is the chance to um, to escape to what the Greeks would call catharsis. You can actually can get some cleansing of the of the sin, if you like. No, yeah. I don't have very you know, religious language, but we as social beings, we live in these extended communities still, don't we? Very extended communities. Yeah. If you don't fix the problem, it did the, take the banks as an example after the financial crisis did we get catharsis did the bank say yeah here's what really happened we're terribly sorry we have fundamentally fixed the way we do business it's impossible for it to happen again and we're terribly sorry and and, and there's been some sort of moment where the forgiveness can occur from the society around them I would argue that never happened. No, I agree. And as a result, potentially, yeah, uh, yeah I don't think so. The you know, same crisis we had before, but yeah. potentially you haven't got the thing fixed. No, no, I, I, that I think the so. Cycle. Too. I, I, so I, I, the I idea think, was that there's yeah. a repetitious, potentially repetitious cycle, but the but the way of 
stopping it is through honesty, really dealing with the facts as they are, perhaps embracing more criticism in, in, in a sensible way and trying to be serious about continuous improvement and making leaders accountable for that and not making them into personal heroes who can use the organisation as vehicles for their own personality traits and yeah. so that was that was the sort of thing I was writing about. Yeah. About. Uh, and and the, and the interesting thing is, I, I fully was you say I recognize what you say as you say about banks. And but the other interesting thing I would say, uh, Matt, we, we nowadays see industries, we see leaders who are on that same uh, trajectory, and and it doesn't take a lot of fantasy to to see, um, you know, the, the hubris and also the potential nemesis occurring. <laughs> If 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 let's say top leaders come to you or companies come to you and say, look, uh, Matt, we're 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 you know we're growing tremendously. Um, you know we have all the ingredients to you know uh, wind up in in a hubris uh, stage with all the comp- uh, with all the consequences of that. Um, what what should we put in place in order to you know correct it? Are there mechanisms we can put in place? Are there the things we need to do as an organization to prevent ourselves from you know becoming uh, you know almost too arrogant and, um, and and making the same mistakes that you that companies did that are mentioned in your book? Well, first off, I mean, if you ask that question, you're you're on the road to something, aren't you? Uh, yeah, you have yeah, some, some healthy self-reflection. Just having some awareness that you you know it could happen to you is is one of the things I recommend to people. It's like just recognize that reality; it could happen to you. So why might it happen? Um, and indeed, in, in almost assume it will happen. And we've seen similar issues recently with sort of cyber security. You know, you're you're far better off so assuming it will happen and. Yeah. trying to make it less likely than to say we'll be fine yeah. we've got a good IT department it's going to be super um, so that's the first thing but I think being mindful about this stuff and managing those genesis conditions so boards for example if you've got hyper growth is it, that, it that's brilliant but what what are you doing to manage the risks that are growing? Are, are you are you conscious of the are the leaders big enough now to manage the the, the, the growth in revenue Um at what point are you going to need bigger premises? At what point are you going to need to change the way you operate because everybody used to know stuff because there were 20 of you around a table and now there's 500 of you. You're Some of them are brought and uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I think purpose and values are very important. I don't think they're a panacea. So there's lots of companies with purpose and values who've gone down the tubes and there are quite a few that don't ever have anything explicit to say about them that are extremely effective and and well defended but i do think if you're going to have a purpose and values then make sure people really understand them and and make sure they're well embedded into the whole way the company operates yeah um i think the third one is monitoring status quite broadly so having lots of sort of microphones in the organization having a culture that's really quite unfriendly to hubris which means valuing everybody's opinion it's, it's a remarkable overlap with inclusion um high inclusion culture so the good news is if you were doing things on dni that you should have been doing you're probably going to be doing things that are broadly speaking unfriendly to hubris because you should be getting more people's opinion in a room you should be having teams that have a broader perspective you should be getting it possible for people to speak up and say, no, I, I, that, what you did as a leader, that, that wasn't right. I don't like the way that that was done. 
Um, so that, those those are a few thoughts, but I think more more pointedly, boards can do a lot um, about the way they assess leaders. They should be looking for perhaps at-risk personality types. I think there's a case to be made for making, you know, I would say this, wouldn't I? But I think coaching is very important because it's an opportunity to be with somebody who um, can challenge you or help you challenge yourself. Some boards are even doing things where they sort of have a bit of an annual hubris test as part of the performance management process for leaders. So there's at least one board where the chair likes to do that and sort of is asking questions which are, you know, has this person got more egotistical? Are they listening? So, so the questions you put in employee service, the, the questions yeah, yeah, you find yeah. up around uh, performance, how the board manage their own performance review, it, it all kind of could align it, about if you believe this stuff, you know, you could have a, an unfriendly culture for hubris. And, and I think that there's quite a lot of different things. I'll, I'll, I'll stop now, but you know, there's, yeah. there's lots of things you can do. Yeah, I, I think I think that is that is extremely uh, that is extremely practical. In in that context, I also have another question: If leaders find themselves, let's say, in the center of a corporate scandal, um, a number of them have a tendency, like um, you know, I'm I'm the right man to to clean up, you know, the mess I was responsible for creating it. I'm the right person to to clean it up. No one knows the company better than I am, so. You see a lot of people, rather than let's say leaving the stage, uh, you know, trying to manifest themselves also as, you know, uh, people who can solve um, the crisis adequately. Yeah. If if leaders come to you and they're in the midst and they form themselves personally, let's say the center of a scandal or the bill being held responsible for the scandal. In what circumstances um, would you recommend them to, you know, weather out the storm, solve the problem heads on? And, in, you know, in what circumstances would you recommend them to say, look, it's, it's not worthwhile, it's, it's not going to work. Um, the best thing is to, you know, ensure an orderly transition to, to your successor. What, what's your take on that, Matt? I think it depends, but it won't. It, the, the main headline is it probably won't be down to you to decide anyway. Um, so however upset or unfair you think it is, that decision is usually out of your hands. Uh, so if you have the ones I've been close to, CEOs are often very much part of the investigation. There's certainly an early stage. What happened? What was your role? What decisions did you take? Were you being enforced? Were you aware? Have, yeah. you, you have to take part in that stuff. But there's all sorts of legal stuff going on, and you, 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 even then, they're sort of needing to be thinking about, okay, this could be the end of my time in this, and often it is now. Whereas, but it's still an opportunity for a learning experience for you personally as well as the organisation. So you've got to contribute to that to some degree. But very rarely these days are people being given a huge amount of time to stay and clear up. There are there are some diff, there are some um, there's some examples where it does happen. I think it very rarely happens where the thing's being very public. I think it's very difficult for a CEO to be associated very closely and very publicly with something having gone very wrong and fix it these days, um, which is a shame, perhaps, because your underlying question is often they are the right people to fix it in, one, in the sense they know more about it and they've got a huge interest in fixing it. Yeah. And they may be very capable to fix it. But they 
they're just politically the rail politic is often that they're they're dead men and women walking and they're going to have to go so I think that's the reality. Therefore, their best interests, when I talk to them about it, are being cooperative and helpful without, you know, creating too many problems for themselves because you're not wanting to be branded too closely with something that's gone horribly wrong and starting to think, you know, about what's next, you know, and, and about possibly a period with this nemesis idea in mind, you know, the, the, and metamorphosis, they may have to spend a bit of time in the cocoon, <laughs> turning into a butterfly now, uh, yeah. their days of caterpillar over. And that's that's a reality for several people I've worked with. Where yeah. it, that's it. You, you're no longer going to be doing that anymore because of the reputational damage for you personally is too great. Yeah. Nowadays, uh, companies and, and company leaders like, like CEOs are often um, asked by their stakeholders, so you know, be it their employees, uh, be it their customers, be it society at large, to take a position on uh, political issues. So what, what's your stance on, on human rights in, uh, in China? Um, you know, what's your take on, on Russia and Ukraine? Um, what's your stance on, uh, on mass immigration? Yeah. But what do you recommend, let's say, uh, organizations and leaders to 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 act? When should they engage in the debate? Should they abstain from the debate? Um, are there clever decisions to be taken? What what would you recommend to them? It's kind of you know generic um, ways of of responding to that. Well, these are very dangerous issues potentially for them to wade into unless they're very sure they know what they're doing and why. So, as ever, being a bit thoughtful could be is is important, and and being diplomatic is 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 a necessity, I think, for for for, for leaders. There are other things where they may need to say, actually, there's there's a good congruence to between this the the values position we want to take in general, and what we think is best for our our stakeholders. Um, but take any any given there are let me think of an issue china's a good one at the moment where if you've got a manufacturing jv in china at the moment uh, and you are wanting to sell your products to the chinese internally uh, as well as get their products out for your own market you probably don't want to be too vocal about criticizing beijing um plus there is a you know, you, you, when you fly around the world and you spend time in different cultures and different places, you realise that the point of view that's very prevalent back where your headquarters is or where the domestic news agenda is strong on your company isn't necessarily the only point of view that's worth hearing. So anybody who's worked in multinationals and spent a lot of time in different bits of them realises the HQ view is not the only view that matters in the world. And there are there are other opinions on, on, on a lot of matters. Yeah. So. I think you've got to decide as a corporate, and this is a board-level decision, really, what are views we hold corporately and we're prepared to stick Take out the consequences, around the world. Like it might be we believe in health and safety and we're going to have health and safety standards that are just as high in uh, Gabon as they are in, 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 in the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, you see people getting very tied up in knots about some other issues and... It could be gays in Uganda, or it could be what's our view about the threat that the 
Chinese are posing to Taiwan or, or, or on our supply chains? And these are not simple questions. I, I think CEOs need to be very thoughtful about why are they having a point of view? Why are they speaking out? Are they doing so because that's very important to the company and mm-hmm. it's their job? Yeah. And not falling into the trap of becoming narcissistic about it and saying, because I have this platform, I am a celeb, therefore I'm going to talk about everything that I think. And you but that that's not people think that's authentic leadership, but it's I don't think I don't think it's that simple. I think you are always on stage playing a role as a CEO, and your job is to do that effectively for your stakeholders and your owners and your board and your employees and your customers. And it is not your job necessary to let out all of your feelings, <laughs> all of the things you think, uh, just because you've got this opportunity. And usually when you do, it's it's the beginning of the end. So um, yeah. you want to be quite careful with that stuff. On the other hand, I think there is an important place for principled leadership and those who can do it and do it consistently and their boards are, fully with them it can be very effective indeed and that's how sometimes how change happens so i'm not advocating that leaders shouldn't do it i think that's silly but they just need to think why they're doing it and be very clear and, and think through the ramifications you you know we've seen some interesting stuff going on in the culture wars recently in the states where people have i don't know whether bud light is or isn't happy with what's happened with their product over there for example but they you know aligning yourself very strongly with the trans community has had a an impact economically on your product and its sales in other markets and is that what you wanted are you happy with are you happy to live with that yeah uh, or will you look back and say actually we we probably shouldn't have done that i don't know i'm nothing to do with them but that 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 sort of issue you know it's it's becoming potentially more difficult to 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 say what you want yeah. because everything is so it's, it's a polarized. Polarizing. Yeah. Polarizing. So be careful. Yeah. No, that I, I agree with you. I think um I think you often find yourself in these type of situations like them if you do, them if you don't. There, there, there almost seems to be um, you know, no good answer almost. Well, I, the, the, yeah. the the contrary problem is you don't want everyone to become anodyne, vanilla corporate plastic people. Um, I think that's the challenge for CEOs and individuals is trying to find these things they can say that are sophisticated enough to pass muster but are not, you know, on the one hand the other about everything. You know, you do need to come out and say you're for and against some things but then or, 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 or just pile on and say, look, you know, we can't go on like this with, our use of single-use plastic, or we can't go on and like this with our use of energy. We're going to have to put our shoulder to the wheel and do something about it. But those issues often start to be helpful to them because what they become are ways to connect with their own employee base, ways to connect with customers, ways to change things in the world. And that actually becomes, you know, that can be a win-win-win. So where they do that effectively, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. A final question on my side is um, 
you're also let's say coaching uh, a lot of leaders and and there's a lot happening in in a society if you think about uh you know climate change you think artificial intelligence uh, a lot of potential things to take ethical stances on um do you also bring those things consciously let's say in 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 your you know in your coaching relationships do you keep them outside how, how do you deal with them as a coach well, I, I'll talk about anything with my coaches. So, I mean, whatever, whatever they want to talk about, it's their, it's their conversation, really. And I, I'm, I'm not just there to bring my own opinions on everything. Um, it's quite an interesting debate at the moment in the coaching community, though, whether the ethical um, importance of doing something about climate change, for example, or leaning in on DNI issues or... Uh, being alarmed about and aware of the challenges of AI, to name that three, are those things that are so important that your CEO in front of you should be worrying about that you, you, you must make sure they are, you should bring it to their attention. You, 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 you're, I mean, there's quite a lot of people writing stuff that's saying, I'd be derelict in my duty if I didn't sort of force the conversation. Um, I, I, you know, everyone's got their own opinion about this. I, I'm, I don't, I do believe the coaching conversation should be for the benefit of the individual being coached, and they should drive the agenda with some help and guidance. And it's not, I don't see it as my job to force that agenda on them. But there are ways into that, I suppose, where I, I will say, if I, if I think somebody as a CEO isn't thinking broadly enough or widely enough. I might, for example, be able to get some feedback for them from others. And then they may say that, and then I can you know, see that with them and say, well, there we go. But I think you've got to be very careful. Uh, if you bring your own agenda in too much as a coach, you're, you're not coaching at all. And, I, and of course, I'm, I'm not just a coach. We, we are advising people and um, mentoring them some degree. And that, I think that's a different thing from coaching in its pure sense. So as a coach, I, I, I'm really against it. As an advisor, I think you need to watch it. And yeah, it's part of your duty. Your you know, there's the same trap as I talked about. I mean, it's not your narcissism to you know talk about things you want to talk about. It shouldn't be dominating their conversation. Thank you. Matt, we, we discussed a, a, a number of, of topics in this, uh, in this podcast. Yeah. Are there any, any final thoughts from, from your side? Um, for instance, on, on leadership? Yeah, I, I had one I wanted to um, just say something about, which I suppose lies, again, at the heart of um, everything I've done for the last 20 years or so. Um, because I'm privileged enough to work alongside some pretty powerful people and, and important jobs, um, I don't think they should get an easy ride. I don't think we should not be critical of them. I don't think we should never... Um, you know, expect more of them because they are so um, lucky to be there. And you're generally, you know, well-paid and all these other things that everyone will tell you. But I am concerned at the sheer lack of um, compassion that some people have for people in senior life. Um, those are very, these are very difficult jobs. They take a lot out of the person. They are very hard on them, their family, their friends. They're exposed to really horrendous amounts of abuse sometimes and um, criticism that's very ill-informed sometimes uh, as well. And I I guess, you know, 
them's the breaks, as, as Boris Johnson said. But I, I, I do think also we should recognise that if you're not there, you're not involved directly, you're not close to things, you might not be getting the whole story to keep having some degree of suspicion of what you're hearing in the press or on social media and just, just have a little bit of care for people because um, we are all human beings. We're all Mark One human beings and um, there's only so much people can cope with. They do their best um, and sometimes, yeah, they fail or they make mistakes or they make wrong decisions or you disagree with their politics or you disagree with their choices. Yeah. But, you know, it's part of the... Um, I guess of the whole way society is potentially destabilizing itself at times is, is, is this. So you have choices. We all have choices. So a bit of compassion for the senior leaders and, and, and trying to be helpful to them to do a better job rather than just beat them up because the job wasn't done to your satisfaction might be a, a, a more constructive approach. Thank you, Matt. It is a beautiful, beautiful thought to uh, to close the podcast uh, with. Thank you so much for your uh, contribution, and um, yeah, look forward to uh, to catching up with you soon. Thank you. Me too, and thank you. It's been a, a, a delightful conversation, and, and thank you for inviting me on. And uh, look forward to seeing you soon. I hope you liked listening to this podcast. If so, please feel free to like this podcast and leave your comments in the comment section of your podcast provider. If you want to get in touch with me about the contents of this podcast or about leadership and leadership development in general, please send me an email. My email address is dirk at dirkverburg.com. I'm looking forward to hearing from you.